Today, I am pleased to introduce you to the man behind the magic that will be the Wolf Hall weekend coming in June 2024, David Holland. David, welcome. Yeah, hi, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. Well, let's begin maybe with a short introduction. Can you tell everybody who you are and what your involvement with Dame Hillary Mantle is? Yeah, so um, I, I'm, I'm David Holland. I've spent half my life in publishing with HarperCollins Publishers, both in the UK and Australia, actually. And I retired quite early before Hillary became a star, I hasten to add. But I you know, I kept up with the world of, of books and the Booker Prize in particularly. And I have to confess that my um, discovery, my personal discovery of Hilary Mantel's genius came much later than um, most people. In fact, I, I confess that Wolf Hall, the first of the trilogy, sat on my bookshelf for many years unread, can you believe? So... Let me explain why that is the case. I, you know, I spent a life in books, and I worked with lots of of great authors over the years, um, helping to market their work. And um, Hillary came along just after I retired uh, from Harper Collins, and um, but the connection was quite magical in itself because I, my wife and I left Australia, came back to the United Kingdom, and we lived down in Devon. And for those of you who know about Hilary Mantel. She lived in this tiny little seaside town called Budley Salterton, which subsequently became the, the the venue for one of Britain's biggest literary festivals, believe it or not. And Hilary was the president of the festival. And, is, and in fact, I'm looking forward to attending the next festival in September this year, which will be, will be great. But um, Hilary lived in Budley Salterton and without me knowing that she was there, um, my wife and I moved into Budley Salterton to live for a couple of years. And during that time, uh, my daughter got married and we rented the um, Tudor mansion, which is called Cade House, which is just up the road from Budley Salterton as the venue for my daughter's um, wedding reception. All of this conspired to uh, produce the Wolf Hall Weekend because when I finally decided to read Hilary Mantel, it was one of those moments. So about three years ago, I said, okay, I've got more time in my life. I'll pick up the first volume. And that was it. I could not put it down. Now I believed all of my friends who said, have you read Wolf Hall yet, David? And I said, no, 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 it's on my list. And I became an addict of Hilary completely hook, line, and sinker. And then I realized why she's only one of four authors all time to win the Man Booker Prize twice. She's up there with some major celebrities of English literature, Margaret Atwood, for example, uh, Peter Carey, who I knew from Australia. I've, I've read everything Peter Carey had written because... Um, I, I helped market his books in Australia, but um, so here we are. And I was one. I was then reading. I was in the middle of Bring Up the Bodies, which is the second in the in the trilogy, uh, which includes the execution of Anne Boleyn. Uh, and in fact, it, it, that's where it ends. And, and I was halfway through that when the sad news 
uh, came on the air that Hillary had passed away suddenly last last year, uh, 2022, um, in, in September, October, I think it was. And um, I personally, I was devastated because I, like so many of her readers, when you read her trilogy, you, you not only enter the world of Tudor England in a way that I've never, never done reading any any other fiction before, but you also feel as though you you know um, Thomas Cromwell, um, the star of of her trilogy. But but more than that, it's as if you are you've become friends with Hillary, and so many people unsolicited have said similar things to me. So that's her gift as an author. And um, I remember reading at the back of her note in Bring Up the Bodies that she's, she thanked a guy called Rupert Thistlethwaite, which is a very old English name, uh, difficult to say if you've had a few glasses of wine. Um, and he is the current owner of had a house where my daughter's wedding reception is. So I knew Rupert. And so I'm now reading in the back of Hilary Mantel's book that she's thanking him for his many invites to her and her husband, Gerald, to, to visit the house. And uh, it was just one of those moments when a light came on in my head. It was early January. I just got the newsletter, the annual newsletter from Calais House saying, you know, don't forget us if you want to come back. And I rang Rupert and said, why don't we do a, a celebration of Hillary and her Wolf Hall trilogy in particular and base it at Cadet House? And he just said, well, that's a no-brainer. Let's let's do it. And that's how it all began. So that tells you a little bit about my background with Hillary. Um, I did meet her briefly once. Not I was not introduced to her, but I do recall uh, my son and I were in a gift shop in Budley Salterton, the little seaside town I mentioned where she lived, and I remember her seeing her talking to the owner of the gift shop. And both my son and I were completely taken aback by this, one of the most interesting conversations I've ever eavesdropped on in my entire. She was so eloquent. She, she was so lucid. Uh, it, it was her, everything was, it was as if you were listening to a BBC broadcast on, on something or other. And we we couldn't leave the shop when we both eventually peeled ourselves out. I didn't have the the courage to introduce myself, but that that was my personal experience of Hillary in the flesh, as it were. So it's a great privilege to 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 tell you that um, when I then started to approach people who I knew uh, either knew Hillary or had worked with Hillary over the years, they unanimously without reservation, all put their hand up and said, yes, yes, please, let me be part of this. So the speaker lineup, which you can see, um, and, and which I know you're going to help promote as well, thanks, Rebecca, for that, it is very much a lineup of both um, people that were involved with Hillary from a historical point of view, but also people who were who worked, literally worked with her on, on her books. Um, beyond the trilogy, because she published, you know, several lots of novels which had, had nothing to do with history at all. So, we've, yeah, I've got a great mix, I think, of um, of people from her literary uh, side, but also from the historical side. And of course, it it's all about the Tudors 
which is where um, that you you and I connected really, because I I knew how devoted you and your listeners are to the Tudor era, and I'm sure many of them have have read Hitler's trilogy, but probably many of them have not equally as well. I mean, it is it is a big commitment. <laughs> it is. It definitely is. <laughs> Two thousand pages if you read the full the full lot. But uh, yes, yeah, so my personal addiction to Hillary was, I have to confess, first a literary one. She takes uh, a, a relatively unique stance in the trilogy in particular. She experimented. Um, and I remember reading her saying that uh, she knew it was going to be magical uh, halfway through the first page when she was writing it. She decided quite radically to write it as a narrator, but through the eyes of Thomas Cromwell himself. So that really um, makes it an, a, a unique and a very, uh, just from a literary point of view, to lock yourself in to one point of view um, and to take the liberty of also being a narrator through that person's eyes. Immense skill. Uh, just shows her, her prowess. As, as a writer of, English, of, of great English literature, and she deserves those prizes and, and a lot more. Um, in my mind, um, she's up there with, for me, uh, she's up there with Ernest Hemingway, James Joyce, um, the greats, in my, in my humble opinion, um, and, and Emily Bronte, and, and so on. You know, um, and I think, you know, our, you know, my great grandchildren and so on will be. Studying her, I hope, anyway, mm. when they when they study English literature at school in the future. What a legacy! Yeah, amazing. So um, I I believe that this was this deserved celebrating that this heritage, this legacy that she's leaving behind, as you say, um, deserves to be preserved. And I know there are there've been several um, little minor um, tributes. Uh, there was a wonderful memorial service to Hillary uh, Southwark Cathedral in London, which I was privileged to go to. Um, the uh, Bradley Sultan Literary Festival have got a couple of little one-hour slots going on in September this year with uh, with Ben Miles, the actors, coming down just to uh, pay tribute and um, and a couple of other... Somebody's going to be reading from the book. So that's lovely. But I felt that we needed to... Um, well, I was quite happy to take responsibility to try and create a bigger event because I feel that the work deserves um, greater immersion. And there's so many of us that just want to talk about it <laughs> <laughs> together. And, not, you know, I'm also a historian by, by education. <laughs> so my background was in as a, as a high school teacher, so I, I studied education. So the, that was... Um, my, what I did at university, but my two main subjects were history and geography with a little bit of religion thrown in as well, comparative religion, which I then ended up teaching specifically uh, history at high school. And although I never taught the Tudors because um, my specialist subject was 20th century modern European history, which was a big favourite with um, with high school examining boards, Um my uh, own education at high school was deeply seeped in the Tudors. 
So those those of your re, re, listeners who um, grew up in my era, which was a little while ago, um, <laughs> uh, will remember a historian called Elton, um, and he was like the definitive work. And in, in fact, it wasn't. It's not really. I mean, there's been several. Uh, as you know, there's been several biographies of uh, Thomas Cromwell, um, and of course, the latest uh, one of, of particularly uh, critical note is that by Dermot McCulloch, uh, Thomas Cromwell Alive. Um, and I was really um, privileged to meet Dermot um, just a couple of months ago at Hillary's memorial service, and we we en- we ended up chatting for a long time. He was very generous with his time and he said he was really excited to be the keynote speaker at our at our weekend so um yeah we 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 reminisced about um our own reading of of the trilogy and of course uh, Hillary and and um Dermot did speak on on the same platform on so they were invited to speak at, on the same platform which was a bit of a difficult situation because um in a way, it's easy to think of Hillary's trilogy as as a as a biography of Thomas Cromwell. <laughs> I can <laughs> which see is, that. <laughs> yeah, which it's not. <laughs> and so when they were together on stage, they would um uh Hillary would very quickly say, you know, I'm I've not written a biography. Mm-hmm. I've yes, I've done the homework. And she she studied Cromwell's life and particularly his relationship with Henry and the Queens and and the political forces uh, around the various families, the Berlins, the Seymours. Um, and, of course, uh, the first part of the trilogy focuses predominantly um, on his on Cromwell's relationship with, with uh, Cardinal Wolsey and Wolsey's relationship with, with Henry VIII um, and how that played out and how... Um, through uh, Hillary's eyes and how she saw Thomas Cromwell, how he sort of really cleverly um, manoeuvred his way through that shift in power and um, sort of out of nowhere ended up in the court of, of Henry as an advisor. And that, that I think, is the, um, is the real theme that got me hooked uh, into into the trilogy, so that that's book one, uh, Wolf Hall itself, and the reason, of course, it's called Wolf Hall for those of your listeners who are not particularly aware of it. The reason it's called Wolf Hall is because that was the family home of the Seymours, and towards um, as we get into Bring Up the Bodies, Volume Two of the trilogy, um, there is great emphasis on the shift in in the attraction um, of uh, Henry's attention towards Jane Seymour away from Anne Boleyn before he uh, gave uh, Thomas Cromwell the task of solving his now unwanted marriage to Anne Boleyn and, and the machinations that that went into that. And of course, for those of you that have seen either the play uh, based on Hillary's trilogy or the TV series, um, Wolf Hall, um, you'll you'll know that 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 is a real, uh, really well interpreted in a very dramatic way by Hillary, um, in a way that that you know is just you can't put it down. I mean, the intrigue in there is is phenomenal. Um, 
And then, of course, as we go through to the third in the trilogy, um, The Mirror and the Light, um, then <clears throat> we're looking at the the rise, the, the, the ultimate pinnacle rise of Thomas Cromwell's power, which was phenomenal. I mean, he he was made a lord, lord of in Lord Essex, you know, which was which was amazing from somebody who came from very very lowly status, a, a blacksmith's boy, according to Hillary. Although that is debatable, but so when Hillary and and um, Dermot McCulloch would end up on stage together, there would be this this banter which they would have, which is how how much Dermot appreciated um, Hillary's interpretation, but how Hillary was a great pains to say, but this is just my interpretation. And, of course, once uh, McCulloch's uh, biography of Cromwell was published, which I'm halfway through at the moment, I've been really busy, but I'm, I'm you know, committed to finishing that pretty soon. Um, the historian in me um, uh, is constantly doing what I think everybody else is doing when they read it. If they've read Hilary Mantel, mm-hmm. they're saying, oh, okay, so that was fiction and this is the fact. And I don't know if you wanted to ask me some questions, otherwise I'll just keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do want to go back to, you mentioned the amount of research that she put into mm-hmm. these books. And do you think... It had something to do with her training as a lawyer that gave her such a forensic approach to research and developed her ability to get into the heads of her characters. Yeah, yeah, I can see. Yes, absolutely. Um, sort of, it's the it's the clinical approach to detail that comes through her work, and I think of. I mean, I'm not a reader of historical fiction, by the way. I'll put my hand up and say I, she's the only. Well, yeah, I'm trying to think. Certainly, um, any anything from the Tudor period. I she's the only historical fiction writer I've read. Um, uh, I've re- read other historical fiction, but from different periods. But um, and she wrote. I don't know if you're aware, Rebecca, but she wrote um, another massive tome called A Place of Greater Safety, uh, which was one of the first books she ever wrote where she was sort of cutting, which is based on the French Revolution. So she takes three of the most prominent characters from the French Revolution and looks at the revolution through their lives. So she's you can see the um, the approach that she eventually took in, in Wolf Hall um, and uh, being sort of tested out. And it took a while for that book to get published. So what that that actually couldn't find she couldn't find a publisher for that for some time. Um, but so she was she she yes she did bring a, a lawyer's view in terms of the clinical factual um, loyalty to to real events and real people and what you can find from from the historical. But she, but she I have heard her say on some interviews that. When she first thought about university, um, she wanted to to be a historian. Mm. Um, so that was always latent; it always sat there um, with her. But yeah, um, it's it's the attention to detail that also captures readers of her work. But she doesn't do it in an over descriptive way. So she doesn't describe the 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 eating utensils down to you know, or she doesn't describe people's wardrobe. 
down to great detail. She doesn't describe um, the the you know she doesn't spend three pages like D. H. Lawrence used to describing the inside of a house. Um, it's done in a couple of lines, but it's enough because she then knows because she knows she can draw upon the reader's own imagination, and that's what for me uh, ultimately meant that I couldn't put her books down is that her imagination melds in some way uh, if you're prepared to let it. And I'm, um, my son-in-law, who's going to be at the weekend, he actually is a lecturer in modern American history and politics <laughs> in England, can you believe? Um, <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, so we, we, you know, he, he had fun over the last few years, I can tell you. But um, the uh, the interesting thing in there is that, you know, he and I are both fans of, of English history. And I said, oh, have you read Wolf Hall? And he said, no, I just couldn't get on with it. He mm. said, oh, no, no, I just couldn't. I, he said, I read about, tried to read about 20 pages. And I said, oh, if you just read the 21st page. <laughs> <laughs> that'll I said, there. yeah, that'll do it for you. It was like, um, because once you let her into your imagination, once, once you let her utilize your imagination as a reader, she's got you. Yeah, that's the best part about reading, isn't it? Mm, it is. And sometimes, you know, there are great writers who you enjoy um, reading the result of their imagination, but that skill that Hillary had, which to draw you in so that you're, you're standing right next to Thomas Cromwell with her in those scenes. And so then when, when if you watch the TV series, uh, I think, is it on... Um, uh, what channel is it on in, in the States? It's on PBS, I believe. PBS, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, awesome, awesome series. Uh, Hillary said that she thinks the, the writer of the the series um, actually did a better job of some scenes than she did in her book. So that's high praise coming and from her. And I'm beautifully filmed with the natural light and the candlelight. We've never seen anything like that really before. No, no, and of course, modern technology and camera cameras—they were using the latest version. You know, where the, where you could, it was an experiment. I was told um, in some ways with that they didn't know if it would work, and um, it, that added to the ambiance, did it not? You know, in the in some of those scenes, um, which were just just amazing. And they're filming. I do know that they're actually in production on the mirror and the light. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> uh the 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 play version um which was co-written by um Ben Miles this time by the way uh, which was fantastic because I know how close Ben and Hillary were and and I think she invited him to uh help her produce the the mirror and the light which I've not read the final chapter by the way <laughs> I was going to ask if you had finished it yet <laughs> no <laughs> All right, you'll get there someday <laughs> or not um yeah it was really funny i told rupert thistlethwaite who owns caday house that i hadn't been you know i couldn't read the fast the last few pages because i didn't want cromwell to die mm. you know that's how hooked i was and he just laughed and said me too <laughs> <laughs> i said isn't that weird i said no i don't want it to end I'll go back and read the whole thing all over again, and maybe I'll, you know, I mean, I know the ending. Of course I know the ending. Right. We all know the ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what's interesting is, and it was an ignoble end 
for Cromwell himself. Um, he he was the victim of of his own success in a way, in within the power arena of of England at that moment in time, where the the I mean the old rivalries raised you know were, were raised up in big time against him, and he at, at that point he just found himself on the wrong side of the line in relation to Henry. Um, who was disappointed with the, you know the choice of Anne of Cleves, which nobody. There's a great argument of why Henry didn't take to Anne of Cleves, and you know, I've heard people say, "Well, I can't see why not. She seemed a you know perfectly attractive woman, and you know some people have even said she was probably the the most queenly of of all of Henry's wives. Um, she she came from that you know the right pedigree." Um, to be, you know, a, a magnificent queen of England uh, just didn't quite work out, right. unfortunately. Yeah. So Cromwell got stuck in there, but also there was a big, you know, Henry seemed to have second thoughts about his faith. Um, on the one hand, he was quite happy to be head of the church, you know, create the church in England, uh, make that break from from the Pope, uh, the Pope's authority over the English church, but on the other hand, he wasn't necessarily um, willing to entertain anything to do with what um, uh, Dermot McCulloch in his biography calls evangelicalism. He said it, that's really what we should, that's what they called themselves at the time. Um, they didn't call themselves Puritans. Um, they didn't um, uh, call themselves Lutherans. Uh, they it would, Evangelicalism was a... Uh, a catch-all phrase for for people who are wanting greater purity with you know within the the faith, which was spreading right across Europe and, and had already taken a much greater hold in parts of Europe before it ever reached England in any in any great. But the, you know the translation of the Bible into English obviously was a major, and there were two or three English um, English clergy who pioneered that and so on. We know, and the rest, of course, is history. We know that. So these are the sorts of discussions and debates. We're going to be having panels. Uh, we've got some literary critics who are going to be debating Hillary's skill as a as a writer. We've got we're going to have um, we've got a, a couple of well known people on your podcast, Dr. Lauren uh, Mackay and um, Elizabeth, Dr. Elizabeth Norton, yes, who are joining joining us. I think um, people are, are aware. That uh, Dr. Elizabeth Norton is an expert on, on on Jane Seymour, and in fact has written the only biography um, devoted to Jane Seymour, which I find incredible, um, given the, the role she played in English history, right. even if only for a short period of time. Yeah, she's been very underrated. It's nice what Dr. Norton has done with Jane Seymour to bring her to light a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I am curious, and, David, before we continue, I want to know when it came to Thomas Cromwell and mm. Hillary, was she always interested in him or was this a subject that somebody brought to her and said, we want somebody to write about Thomas Cromwell? Well, I'm not aware that anybody came to her. And, yeah, her publisher didn't say, well, why don't you write a book? No, no, it would. she didn't operate like that. So um, I think what she discovered I, from what I've, heard um on on various interviews that she's given um i've heard a couple of points on this on uh, i had did hear her say 
that she did have a, a long time fascination going back 20 odd years in Thomas Cromwell as a character because he was brought to the fore um, by a play by Robert Bolt um, called A Man for All Seasons, which also got made into a movie and won an os various Oscars. So it was it was known both sides of the Atlantic, um, where Thomas More, um, St. Thomas More, let me give him his correct title, Sir St. Thomas More, um, was uh, portrayed as the uh, the innocent victim, if you like, um, of the of the English Reformation, um, and also um, Henry's desire to annul his first marriage to Catherine of Aragon and marry Anne Boleyn, and, and everybody had to sign the oath to to say that they were happy for him to become the head of the church in England, which more wouldn't sign. So, in in that play by Robert Bolt, um, Thomas Cromwell is the evil villain. <laughs> Yes, who who you know dastardly manipulates um, Thomas More into making this incredible confession, which we've still got. I mean, we've got the transcript of that trial, in which um, you know More uh, More says, you know, you 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 you're going to put me down, not because of you know my view on this, but because I wouldn't agree to to the to the marriage. Um. And um, famously, um, Duke of Norfolk says, ah, there we have him. You know, finally he's confessed. Uh, so all this is you know, beautiful, great drama, factual. We, we've got the transcript of the trial. But uh, Hillary, I think, um, from what I heard, was sort of plagued by that in a way. And certainly um, the, his the history teacher that I had, who was not Catholic, by the way, <laughs> Um, was was very happy to celebrate the fact that, that England made the break from the, the Roman Church, as it were, and uh, so I was I you know I instantly resonated with Hillary's version of Cromwell, which was that actually he was probably one of the greatest figures of English history ever, um, not necessarily because of his religious faith, and there's a big debate about what that actually look like in reality. And that's one of the great themes within McCulloch's uh, biography where he, he does debate that. But also um, Hillary wanted to say that he reformed England in a way that we are now, we, you know, those of us that live here now, we, we all reap the benefits of the work that he did. Modern England could partly be attributed to Thomas Cromwell. Um, and the work, uh, the the diligence that he brought to the governance of Britain, and how so many of Henry VIII's domestic policies, particularly, were shaped by Cromwell's influence in one form or another, and um, and that's what got him onto the Privy Council, and that's what got him, you know, Lord Chancellor, and eventually the Lord What's interesting is that one of the other members of the Privy Council. And I think this was the the link that Hillary had with Wolf Hall and the Cadet House, where we're holding the weekend, is that Rupert Thistlethwaite is a descendant of one of the other members of the Privy Council from Thomas Cromwell's time. And I think when Hillary found that out, um, she decided that uh, you know this was her closest link within 
you know, a few minutes drive from Budley Salterton where she could um, enter into the physical spirit of the era. And so we've got, um, I've got a couple of people, uh, well, one guy in particular um, who's going to be giving a, a talk at lunchtime about that connection between the, the, the house and the area and Thomas Cromwell. Thomas Cromwell himself never went to Devon. I'll, I'll confess. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> no, no, there's no record. He got as far as Somerset, which is next door. Okay. Well, but, uh, yeah, no, we can't find a record of, of Cromwell ever setting foot in Devon. Um, I think it was the giant of Cornwall, whom whom was a fable figure from the Cornish rebellions that happened occasionally from time to time. The, the West, the Western Rebellion again, which rose up during Cromwell's own lifetime. Maybe it was the the fear, the childhood fear of the of the uh, the giant from Cornwall who led led the rebellion. I have um, never heard of the giant from Cornwall before. Oh yeah, the Cornish, the Cornish. Yes, yes, worth looking up. Yeah, um, and how he could eat, you know, he could kill you know, dozens of of people with a one one swing of his axe or his sword and all that. It's a folklore. It's a folk tale. It's not, but it was quite real. At the time, and of course, Hillary does a great job with that. The other thing I will say, and this is one, so there was lots of things we're going to be debating over the weekend. Um, all of these things are up for grabs. Um, opinions will be will be stated. New opinions will be formed. Disagreements will be, you know, uh, agreed on. Um, all all of that stuff is what we're hoping the weekend will generate, and 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 also an ongoing debate. Because if anything, what Hillary brought to our culture in this time is um, a new way of looking at history and begs the question and a couple of critics of and one of the critics who are, that we've got coming to to the weekend has picked up on this particularly is uh, what Hillary did seamlessly by almost a sleight of hand is she she put um, a modern mind into Thomas Cromwell, um, because you, we can't ever fully imagine what it was like to be somebody in that era. Okay. We can read what they wrote. We can read what other people wrote about them at the time. But to enter in, into the fully into the mind and skin of such a major character such as Thomas Cromwell, uh, Hillary does seamlessly, but she sort of secretly unless you know what you're looking for she secretly put a modern a modern mind in into that skin um so that we can still um resonate with it so we can still identify with that character in a way that makes it so much more relevant how accurate that is of course is up for debate but but you it doesn't matter even if you realize it you instantly forgive hillary for doing that because She's she's drawn you in. She's got you, as it were, um, in the Tudor era. You're you're there in in Henry VIII's court. You're there at the beheading of Anne Boleyn. Um, you're there at when when um, Mary Boleyn uh, flirts with um, with with um, uh, Thomas Cromwell, uh, which is so beautifully portrayed um, word for word. I have to say, in the TV series. Um, that's that scene is a straight lift out of Hillary's writing, um, and deservedly so. It's um, yeah, brilliant work. 
So I know anybody who is listening right now is a huge fan of the Tudors or let's say royal history even because we try to cover mm -hmm. a little bit more than just the Tudors. But if they have yet to read Hillary's Wolf Hall trilogy, would you still recommend the Wolf Hall weekend for them? Absolutely. Um, yes. Um, I mean, you might... <laughs> You might be tempted to read the trilogy as a result, but you don't have to have read the trilogy. There's going to, the, I mean, it's not. I, I, I must be be straight with everybody. You know, it's not going to be a Tudor fest, as it were. We're not. We are one little token to Tudor times. We are going to have a banquet. That's We're going to have a mock Tudor banquet in a great hall um, at Cade House on the Saturday evening. And if you only want to come for that. <laughs> We've got minstrels. We've got people in traditional, uh, authentic costume. Um, so yeah, on the Saturday evening, we are we're going to let our hair down, uh, our academic and intellectual hair down, and we're going to taste some good wine and some good food, and um, hopefully enter into the spirit of um, of the Tudor era, just for one evening. Um, but uh, the the reason I think. It would appeal to anybody who's into history is that the, the house itself, Cadet House, is amazing. Is one of, and it's been quoted uh, by uh, in the English Historical Trust as as one of the most authentic Tudor mansions still still uh, habitable. And um, normally you can't get in it, um, not unless somebody you know is going to hire the whole house as for the for a wedding or for. Um, so it's not a hotel. It's not open to the public per se. So uh, we're very fortunate um, that, that Rupert, the owner, has uh, allocated it to us for this weekend so that we can – and this will be the first time that he's opened it to an event of this kind. So this is awesome. If you want to dress up as Tudors in your Georgian bedroom – <laughs> and there are three rooms left, by the way, so anybody wanting to come and actually stay in the house, you need to get in quick. Uh, contact Rebecca as yeah. soon as possible. Not to <laughs> so you know if that's the appeal, then please do. It's not not a huge house, and the rooms there are limited. There's lots of accommodation which Rebecca can help you with in the area if you decide to come. But um, yeah, uh, if you want to dress up, that's fine. But most of the house was uh, faithfully restored during the Georgian period. So the front facade, where the main entrance is, has got you can see the Georgian windows straight away, which is a bit of a giveaway. Um, but the, when you come round to the east elevation, it's still got um, the majority of its original Tudor facade there with the windows and the whole look and feel. And so it's very easy uh, to let your imagination go wild and to think that you're Lord of the, or Lady of the Manor um in you know the Tudor period and and you know and onwards uh, in England so for anybody that's not ever really immersed themselves in an historical weekend I think this would be be perfect and if you you've got an intellectual interest in English li literature and um and great great storytelling then yeah um you double bonus as yeah. it were <laughs> I think this proves to be an exceptional weekend probably something like nobody has ever experienced before. And sure. I am so honored to be part of it with you because I think this yeah. is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. So David, if somebody right now wants to go and find out a little bit more about this event, where would you direct them to? 
Well, I think as they're on your podcast, I mean, you've got some details there. Um, and um, there's a link uh, which you've got, which will enable them to purchase tickets um, through your podcast, which would be fantastic. Uh, we'd love to see um, our friends across the pond, as it were. Uh, you're more than welcome, as usual, even if you did decide to leave, you know, how many years ago? 450 years ago. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're always welcome back, um, <laughs> as particularly for a weekend like this. And, of course, in the area, um, just up the road, not far away at all, um, Sir Francis Drake had a house, by oh. the way. Yeah, it, in the village, just up the road from Cadet House. So there's um, uh, a friend of ours called Nigel uh, is very, um, very well equipped to give you a guided tour of the area as well. So um, there's that. And then, of course, um, not far away, near Budley Salterton, um, is the home of um, Sir Walter Rowley, where he was born wow. and grew up. So this little pocket of Devon um, is seeped in um, all, and then you've got the magnificent Exeter Cathedral, which is a stone's throw away, which is also seeped in history going back, predates Tudor period um, by at least you know, another couple of hundred of years, a couple of hundred years. So, um, yeah, a well worth um, an expedition. Yeah, there is uh, everywhere around you, isn't there? Yeah, I live in a Saxon village. <laughs> See, we don't have that here in the U.S. We don't have that. I live, in, I, yeah, I live in a Georgian, a, a Georgian mansion that's been turned into apartments. Um, that it, it sits right smack bang in the middle of a, a, a Saxon village that was made famous by Alfred the Great wow. when he did the treaty with the Danes. When the Danes invaded England, they got as far as almost where where I am now, down here in Somerset, and. Um, uh, while the I don't think the treaty was actually signed in the village, it was named after the village because I think the um, the church authorities at the time who um, approved, you know, said yes, this treaty has been signed you know, came came from around here. So, uh, so yeah, the village of Wedmore, um, it's still got its Saxon square, although it's made up of people's private gardens now. But um, at once upon a time, those houses formed a square and the villagers all live, you know, inside the houses. It wasn't fortified, but, um, you know, they they sort of protected themselves from wild animals and robbers and thieves by building their houses in a square and then having uh, most of their life inside the square. Yeah. So, yes, sorry, steeped no. in history. Yeah. I, say, I, I feel like if you live in a country where there is so much history around you, mm. I, I bet it's easy to take it for granted as you walk sure. by something like that, that it has such significance. Here, we come over to the UK and we see those things and we just melt over it and go, why isn't everybody looking at this? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, you have you have that role to remind us that we shouldn't take it for granted. So thank you. For yeah. that and uh, you're, you're, I mean your podcast is great. I've listened to lots of different episodes and uh, enjoyed all of them. I have to say, so congratulations on keeping the spirit alive, as it were. Well, thank you, David Holland, for joining us today to talk about the Wolf Hall weekend that's coming up in June 2024, and we have some exciting interviews coming up in the future. And maybe at the end, we'll just have you come back on and wrap it all up for us. It would be a pleasure. And I'm sure I'll, I'll find some other tidbits from Hillary to pass on to you 
Um, I've stored a few of them away today, but I'll reveal them all next time. Wonderful. Thank you, David. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.